everyone. Welcome to a very, very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined, as I always am every week, by the happy haberdasher, my co-host, Dan the Man Sebastiano, the smartest man in the room. Dan, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Angelo. I'm looking forward to a uh, great show. I'm sure these women have a lot of good stories to tell us. Brother, we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. We got... Uh, Two returning guests and a brand new guest, our first podcast appearance with us. Uh, but before we bring in our guest tonight, let's talk a little bit about some of the um, some of the uh, reaction slash uh, pushback slash fallout from our conspiracy episode. It's been very interesting. I've had, you know, a lot. I've had a lot of response from overseas. I've, I've had more than 60 requests to do readings, all from Scotland and the UK. Well, there you go. Yeah, for, and not one from the US. Not one. <laughs> I thought that was very telling. I thought that was extremely telling. So now, Dan, what do you know about these, these fine young ladies we have tonight? Well, from... Uh... Obviously, we, we've talked with a couple of them already, and, and from the research I've done for the show and just my knowledge and history, I mean, we always talk about the Mount Rushmores of wrestling. I'm pretty sure we've got the Mount Rushmores of wrestling wives on the show tonight. So, Oh, be, absolutely. Uh, it should be interesting because you've got three three very unique perspectives from three of the the bigger legends and unique characters that have come through so it should be and, a lot of fun and by the way dan three of the most outspoken women in pro wrestling period bar none indeed yeah absolutely so let's bring in our panel tonight we have uh, as i said two returning guests and a newcomer to the show tonight and i will start off with her she is a young lady who uh didn't realize it, but she was going to be sucked into a crazy world, uh, the wild, wacky world of pro wrestling. She was just content to stay home and bake cakes and make cookies, but that was not to be. We are joined tonight by Mrs. Jimmy Snooker. Would you please welcome our first time to the show, Carol Jennings Snooker. Carol, welcome. Hi, nice to meet well, you. Nice welcome, to meet you. Carol. Pleasure Karen, to have you Dan. here. And, uh, and and we go back a little bit. It's been a long time. Um, joining Carol tonight is uh, a young lady that's a very shy, unassuming young woman. Uh, she lives in L.A., Lower Alabama. Um, <laughs> her name is Karen McDaniel. And when you say the name McDaniel, there's only one word that comes to mind, and that is Wahoo. Mrs. Wahoo McDaniel. Welcome, Karen. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. And I should have never told you L.A. because you'll always remember that. <laughs> People will say, where are you from? I'll say Florida. Oh, what they say? Miami, St. Petersburg. I'll say, no, I'm from L.A. And <laughs> definitely lower Alabama up here. Absolutely. And last but certainly not least, uh, probably the most uh, enigmatic woman we have was she was married to a crazy man. Or everyone thought he was a crazy man. They didn't realize that Frank Goodish was a really great dad, a wonderful husband, a, a terrific uh, a family guy, and had lots of friends who just loved him and said, Frank will give you the shirt off his back. And very often he did. Barbara Goodish, <laughs> Mrs. Bruiser Brody. 
Hey, Barb, well, how you doing? Hey there. Hi, how's Bye. everybody doing? And good. good to be back on the show. And uh, hey, good to see you, Karen. Good to see you, Carol. I think Dan and I have a really easy job tonight because mm -hmm. when you've got three women of this caliber, we ain't got to say shit. It's going to be a good show tonight. So let me start off mm -hmm. um, with Carol. Now, Carol, you and I first met. In fact, we've only met one time. This is the second time. And it's, it's funny because uh, Jimmy did a show for me in Atlantic City at the Sands Casino. You remember that? I remember that. I don't remember what year it was, but I remember it. Yeah, I remember it be for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jimmy got really hot at me because <laughs> one of my guys knocked you off your seat. Yeah, it was a little surprising. It was a surprising to me, too, because Jimmy always gave me hugs. But he wanted to wring my neck that. <laughs> yeah, I went flying out of my seat onto the floor. I, I told Bill after about it. And, we, and Phil LaRusso and I actually spoke about it when Phil yeah. was on. He went. He looked at me and Jimmy went, you know, he had those piercing eyes when he got angry. He went, I don't like that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he came I, out. He I, said, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, yeah. I said. I said, Jimmy, I'm so sorry, brother. I said, that's that's his gimmick. That's his character. I said, we had no idea that Carol was with you. We just thought she was some woman in the audience. Yeah. He goes, I tried to stay to the back. Out of the way. Yeah. Oh, man. But that was a long time ago. Um, was that was the last time Superfly ever worked for me, as a matter of fact. I saw him again. I'm wanting to say, Carol, around 2006, uh, and I think it might have been an, a, a local show here, maybe in Atco or Berlin, uh, around there. That's possible, yeah. Yeah, because I know he didn't do, he didn't travel like he used to. When I first met Superfly uh, in 1986, and... He was everywhere. I mean, everyone, they all wanted Jimmy Snooker. Right. Everybody wanted Jimmy Snooker. And he was all over the country. And you can barely get him to, to tie him down in one place. Then he meets this young lady named Carol. <laughs> and his whole world come to a crashing halt. And he was like, oh, man, I'm in love, brother. <laughs> So, and I asked Phil LaRusso when he was here, I said, Phil, and you can go back and watch the interview too. I said, Phil, uh -huh. I said, what is it about Carol that just rocked his world? I mean, she's a wonderful woman, beautiful lady. Yeah. I said, what was it that he just went, this is it for me. This is, this is the one. Yeah. And I, and he said, love, love. Yeah, he, he told me that every day. He was you. always telling me, yeah. And he trusted you. And he, you know, you yeah. know, Jimmy didn't trust a lot of people. No, the I know. The other thing, and I said this on the show previously, mm -hmm. if it were not for Carol, and I'll say this to the world, if it were not for Carol Snooker, Jimmy Snooker would have wrestled for free everywhere. Because Jimmy <laughs> never wanted to take anybody's money. Yeah. 
And he never took my cash. I don't know if you know that, Carol. Jimmy never took my money. Yes, I, I realize that. That's why he slowed down a little bit, because I said to him, okay, let's think this over a little bit here. Why work two, three times a weekend and make the amount of money you can make working one time a weekend? So I talked him into it, and I raised his prices, and he worked once a weekend after that. I, you know what? It was like and, it was taking yeah, a toll. You know what? It was like, yeah. And he probably did better. He did much better. Okay. He did much better. Yeah. Dan, just, this is your chance to there. talk to Mrs. Snooker. Okay. Um, I'm gonna ask you when when we had Karen on the show, we talked a, a lot about the uh, the the man for, like where the blurred the blurred line between the man and the character. And, yeah. you know, the old saying in wrestling that, that the, the best characters are the real you turned up to 11. In yeah. her case, as we as we said, you know, Wahoo was was Wahoo. But in the case of, of Jimmy Snuka and, and you, Barbara, as well with with Bruiser, it, every story you hear about him, the, the, the wild, crazy man in the ring that would, you know, rip your eyeballs out for looking at him is absolutely nothing like once he was behind the curtain, he was a completely different person. So I'm curious from the perspective of of the wife you told you mentioned in the story that you you were you were trying to you know you kept your distance a lot of people there didn't obviously didn't know you guys were together uh, when you know the story Angela told where you got knocked out of the chair right. how do you in the era when when keeping the character real was important you, you know he was out in town at the restaurant a bank whatever he had to be jimmy snooker if somebody came up to him how did you handle that having to keep the character the man you were married to publicly being different from the man you were married to the second people weren't looking well really in the ring he was always a a, a baby face mm -hmm. so he was nice to just about everyone he met and he was that way to everybody uh, we went out to a restaurant to eat. They'd be, come up and ask for an autograph. He'd do autographs. He'd hug him and kiss him and the whole thing. He was just genuine. He, what you saw was him. Now, yeah. when he was a heel, he really enjoyed that because he could get out there and do, you know, what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and uh, he enjoyed entertaining people. But it, they just didn't want him to be, uh, you know, the bad guy. So he was a good guy. And he was like that all the time. Uh, he... He wasn't ex exactly the same, you know, he was much more calm and quiet at home. He was right. actually even a little more shy. He would stay back and he would listen to everyone else. You know, I guess he felt like he was entertaining all the time. I'll listen to them for a while. Okay. Now, you know, when I, had, when I had Phil here, he said something really, really interesting. I said to him, you know, what kind of chutzpah did it take? to invite Superfly Snooker over for dinner. And he said, I didn't invite Superfly Snooker. I invited Jimmy. Yeah. And that was really, really telling. And he said that Jimmy was just as as humble and nice as could be. And, and I knew Jimmy, and I could say that in, in full disclosure, I knew him well for a long time. And, and then we lost, of course, like happens in wrestling, you lose touch with people. But the one thing that struck me is that Jimmy was always just really, really grounded. Even whether baby face or heel, he was always grounded. He knew where he came from. He knew who he was. I don't think, Carol, that Jimmy knew how famous he was. 
No, I don't think he realized that either. I mean, I would tease him because we would go someplace and uh, I forget where we were. And there was this a group of German people were all talking in German. And I heard them say something, something, snooker. And I said, I think they're talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, they were. But it was like just about anywhere you went, they recognized it. It used to be funny when we would go food shopping, food shopping in the little town that I lived in, little Echo, New Jersey. And I'd hear people yeah. whisper all the time. That looks like Jimmy Snooker. You know, could that be Jimmy Snooker? And we would just laugh. Sometimes yeah. we would play around and I would say to him, you know who you look like? You look like that guy, Jimmy Snooker. You know, and we would just play. Yeah. It would be like a game that we would do. But no, he, I don't think he realized how famous. And honestly, it wasn't even important to him. I should tell important. people that I live literally five minutes literally five minutes from where your house was i didn't know that yeah, yeah. i i'm in uh, i'm in lindenwald oh yeah yeah right next to berlin i know uh, yeah. yeah absolutely i did not um, know you lived there yeah yeah uh one of the things um i kind of <laughs> when i had phil here uh we we're talking about phil larusso is uh one of jimmy's probably best friend yeah um I said to him, and I think Dan might have been on the show that night. Mm -hmm. I said, how much coaxing did it take to get Jimmy Snooker to like Elvis Presley music? <laughs> I think he was born like in Elvis music. <laughs> I never realized, because I'm a big Elvis fan. And I'll just, yeah. and everyone knows that. Because uh, I, I met Elvis, and I knew one of his guitar players, Charlie Hodge. I knew him well. Right. Uh, and I, I was surprised to find out that Superfly Snooker was an Elvis fan, and he loved Elvis's gospel music. Oh, my gosh. All the time he would sing it. He met Elvis in Hawaii at the uh, Polynesian Cultural Center, and that's where he met Elvis, and he 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 loved Elvis. I think there's, there's uh, something you know that a lot of people don't know. And this might be a surprise to some people, but Jimmy Snooker was actually one of Elvis Presley's bodyguards for a yeah, while. He was a bodyguard during, yeah, in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we liked, found that the Phil actually told us that story. Yeah. And I, and as long as I've known Jimmy, I never knew, I never knew mm -hmm. that he was one of Elvis's bodyguards. Well, he worked of at the Polynesian you know, Cultural Center in in, uh, in Hawaii. Yeah. And uh, Elvis did a lot of his uh, uh, music and stuff right there in the Cultural Center. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. Turn it over to you. Okay. Um, since since we're on the topic of of the you know you, you were telling about the stories people know and you mentioned characters. Uh, while we're while we're transitioning, I want to transition to a question I had written, Barbara. Um, they they say that that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery in the in the 80s and through the 90s there were a lot of characters that popped up in wrestling that were brody knockoffs and i'm curious how is obviously um at some of them were were genuine fan tributes and some of them were more just cheap attempts at cashing in on something how how did that 
did that that goes to the same narrative we were talking with Carol about Jimmy. How, how does that, that how does that look that that even all these years later there's still people who just you 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 grab the hand and you know, grow the beard and people know exactly who you are and what you're doing. How does how does that how does that feel from from the perspective so many years later to still be that beloved and and did 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 Bruiser know at the time did he did he get that 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 how popular he was? You know this was when he, when he left us. I mean, this was 1988. This was way before computers, way before technology. I mean, if he was alive today, he would. It would be unbelievable how he is perceived today, because he. Nobody really knew him. Just a few of the people really knew him back then because of the different organization in Japan. He did a lot of work in Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean, they knew him, but it wasn't the cultural that it is today. Because when they True. contact me and when I go to these events and everything, and I think the biggest one is they took his hus, hus, hus. And everybody knows that must have been kind of like something because I get that all the time. So I know yeah. what they're talking about, the imitation. And I didn't really realize where it came from. And then I've seen some of the old videos and that. I went, oh, okay. They- exactly. So what happened was in this technology generation that we are now in, all these people have gone onto YouTube and they have discovered him on YouTube. So now he has a fan base all around the world. And with some exactly. of the, yeah, some of the events I go to, I mean, the first one was the CAC in Las Vegas. And this young gentleman who wrestles, came up to me, he told me, I like your book, I've read your book, I, you know, I watch your husband. This was a few years ago. And I said to him, well, how old are you? He said, and this was 30 years after Frank had uh, departed. He said, I'm 29. He was not <laughs> even alive when Frank left us. Mm-hmm. And then I have these people coming, showing me their tattoos. They have big tattoos of him on their leg, on their arm, on their back. And these were people that are younger than when he left us. So he has more fans today than he did back then. And I think one of the reasons he always used to tell me that, I mean, these fans are paying a price to come see us. Mm -hmm. I want to give them the best night of their life. I want them to go home and remember that they had a good time. That's right. even in the YouTube videos and all the videos that these young people are watching, it's unbelievable, I have to say. Barb, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did, did Frank enjoy scaring the hell out of people? Because <laughs> he scared the... First time I ever saw Bruiser Brody, he scared the shit out of me. <laughs> he did. He scared the hell out of me. But you know that... That was the gimmick, and, you know, he did. But then when people got to know him, I was like, wow, this is a whole different person than that persona. You know, it's he is actually intelligent. He is actually, you know, I used to ask him one, you know, a little story. I was always worried he'd bring back some tapes from Japan, and he'd be swinging this chain around, you know, when he went into the ring. And I said, why did you hit somebody? He said, Barbara? If you ever go to Japan, you're not what you call really tall. I mean, my arm is up here. There's no way that I can hold <laughs> Okay, that makes He's me feel good. it above my yeah. head. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, That's Karen, 
you've yes. had similar experience with Wahoo. You know, Wahoo was a was a very different guy in the ring than he was out of the ring. Give me a little insight into Wahoo McDaniel. This, the, you know, now he was always, well, not always, but he was mostly a baby face. He did wrestle once in a while as a heel against certain people. He only was a, a heel one time, and that's when he was a heel tag team with Telly Blanchard, and they were the awesome twosome. And he uh, absolutely yeah. hated being a heel. He could yeah. not stand it that his fans were against him. He, he he just could not stand it. But what what I think we really were talking about is Wahoo McDaniel was in the ring, the same person out of the ring. I mean, yeah. whether yeah, he was, whether you were kind to him or if you were kind to him, he was the kindest man in the world and he would give you the shirt off his back and he would give you, he always went to bat for the boys. I said, we moved eight times in 10 years cause he got fired at, you know, at least eight times, but they would hire him back because, uh, because they made money with him. He'd flip the promoter's Ooh. desk over. I mean, and I've told you this before. He had me standing out in Spartanburg, South Carolina, clicking people off because he didn't trust the promoter paying him because he got paid you know according to where they were on the card mm -hmm. and he wanted to make sure yeah. he got his money and he can oh, just we're about tell about you that too. <laughs> he didn't oh, yeah, that. we're actually going to talk a lot about that later on because uh, i got a, i got some questions for all of you later but, but here's the thing we had we had uh have gone to work and not been paid yeah That's oh yeah well and yeah, I'm sure all of you have, have you know, stories, and we're going to talk about that later. But right now, I wanted to, to, to follow up on something. We had um, Magnum TA on the show recently, and, uh, and Magnum specifically pointed out a match that he had with Wahoo. It was interesting because they were both baby faces at the time wrestling for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. Um, well Along anybody then. <laughs> yeah, and what the thing was that Wahoo, and you could see it on his face at the end of the match, some of the people were booing him. He, like, I don't know whether it was intentional, but he kind of became a heel at the end of the match. Did he t ever talk to you about that? Oh, I mean, like I said, it was the match. It was the match, and they all know they they loved Maggie. I mean, Magnum Ta. He was the you know the everybody's dream and blah blah blah. So of course, Wally's going to end up being the heel if they're both baby faces. Somebody's got to be. Oh, and God. and he's he was rough. Whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, or whatever he was, he was rough. When you went yeah. in the ring, you better get ready because there there's no holes. Barred, you know, you you were yeah. going to get whatever you came at him with. You were going to get it back. So, well, that that's a great that's a great line to follow up on. Carol, did you ever see Jimmy like just go off on somebody that uh, you, you know for whatever reason didn't play you know play nice with him? You know, I'm talking about in the ring. In the did, ring. did you ever see that happen? Or I was he always in control of himself? He was always in control. But I remember he said to me that I said, well, what if someone goes in there and they just don't follow the rules or whatever? He says, they get a receipt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's> <laughs> they get a receipt. 
So he knew it, yeah. and they would right. get a receipt. They they had it coming one way or another. So you weren't make those guys. That's you weren't old make school. Yeah, that's old school. Go ahead, Dan. <laughs> no, it's, it's just yeah. But, but, but what 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 Karen just said that that's funny. Um, but now I guess to to go off of that point, um, you you, you know obviously you got a set. You have several ambassadors and and guys that were famous. I mean, I know the modern fan keeps talking about Ric Flair, but you got you got Wahoo, you got Bruiser, and you got Jimmy Snooker. You got three of the prettiest, hardest, hardest, legit hardest chops in the business. There were some red chests when those matches were over. I yeah. guess to go off of that, you talk about setting somebody straight. What were your experiences with? Um, the, the, their interactions with younger talent as uh, when they were booking shows, especially in the case of, I know I, I saw, obviously I'm, I'm only 36. So the first time I saw Wahoo and, and, and Jimmy Snook alive was much later on in their careers. And it was still, I mean, you, you put, you put their name on a local flyer and the small local shows selling a thousand tickets, just like, you know, by the end of the day. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering how did they, how did they react with the younger talent as far as being ambassadors and and teaching them the ropes and whatnot? My husband would coddle them. My my husband would take them under his wing and say, it's going to be all right. And we're going to get through this and da, 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 da. Now, once they went in the ring, you know, you had to do, like you had to do, or, you know, it's like I've said to you before, if you didn't sell, he made you sell. You know, that's just the way it was. Yeah. yeah. You know. He used to say, it's like, he, they would, uh, as soon as we would get there, they would all come up, and the respect was unbelievable. They would all show respect for him. And then they would start talking in front of me, and he would go, whoa, 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 locker room. So he would never talk in front of me. I've never knew what was going on. He he was very very ah. is what they call it. Mm-hmm. But, there uh, you go. Let's let's pick up because you know what, Carol, that is a great great segue. We yeah. had uh, superstar Bill Dundee on the show, and he addressed exactly that point. The wives, the girlfriends, the family were never allowed anywhere near the locker room. Never in the locker room. Never. <laughs> and they never talked business outside the locker room. That's old school. Now, wait a minute. I, gotta, I remember I was a booker's wife. So Wahoo was a booker in a lot of the territory. So I heard it all. They came to the house. They talked to him. I heard it on the phone. And I think I've told you this. They used to call my house and say, let me speak to the chief. And they, to me, that was rude. Why didn't you say, hello, Karen, may I speak to Wahoo? Or did... Finally, one day, I said, you're talking to her. What up? What's up? What you need? Because <laughs> I stopped that. <laughs> they were going to be kinder than, let me speak to the chief. <laughs> That's funny. So I, got, I heard a lot. I knew what was going on. I didn't open my mouth. I just sat back and listened. It was interesting to me. And I consumed it. It was very consuming to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, but it was, uh, how about how about that, Barbara? Go ahead. Yeah, I Go have ahead. to remark on that because I only went to a very few wrestling matches. I never really saw, you know, just went to a couple of them. But when he'd been in Japan, and of course I had a lot of the boys, Stan Hansen, everybody, he would bring them home and stay the night and everything. And you're right, they talked. I knew he did share the business with me because sometimes he would sit there and watch, especially from Japan in the beginning. He'd bring tapes home from Japan. He'd sit there and say, well, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. He was kind of like a businessman with his work in Japan. 
So Barbara, he did, so he would... I had a question along those lines because you just prompted something. Was he was Frank critical of his uh, of his performances? Did he used to critique them? Yes. Did he, he sure really? Did. Oh yes, he sure did because he always said, "Well, I could have done this better, or I could have, you know, this doesn't look quite right." And sometimes we'd be sitting at the uh, kitchen table. Jeff would have gone to bed. This is mm-hmm. sitting there, and he'd talk about different angles. And he'd run them by me. And if he run them by me, he'd say, because I was the man. You know, so if it worked for me, he knew it would work for the yeah. Oh, yeah. Funny. Yeah. So he would, and, and I have to mention one, another thing when you went back to, if they didn't do, you've already gone past this, but I have to say one thing. I think the match that would tell it all was it, was it Lex Luger, the match with Lex Luger in the cage? Where he jumped out at the famous match because you know Barbara, I gotta ask you about that. Thank you because you're the, the first time. And your 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 your, fan, your inner fan is showing, Angela. Uh, you know what, Dan? Because I'm all hyped up about this already, so I might have to defer to you, Dan, because because I might get too excited. But I, Barbara, what was the deal with that? I asked Lex Luger. And he skirted around the issue. Okay. He made up some cockamamie. And I knew I was being worked. And I'll just tell you straight (laughs) up. I knew I was being worked. Because I've been around this business too long to know when when I'm being, you know, worked. And I just, I called bullshit on it. Okay. (laughs) What was the real story? What happened? What did Frank tell you? I think when it came down, Lex was a young young one just kind of starting off and uh i think he tried to call the match oh no oh my Something god like that. and frank was right because frank would always try to make them look good in the ring but you better listen to what because he knew what would work well when somebody like you talked i think it was you karen and carol if they didn't do what they wanted to do because they knew what was right and they were there to protect and give the best match but yeah. then you had some of the rookies that maybe thought they might know a little better. Well, <laughs> as you know, that's what happens. And I think that's when when the match, when it wasn't going, when they wouldn't listen and wouldn't do what, you know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. I think if you've ever seen that match, Frank just stopped. And then... Kind of scared. I think Lex kind of got scared because he's trying to get out of the cage. Yeah, he he scaled the cage and ran back to the dressing room. Yeah, he went, as you said, were some people afraid of him. That goes back. That match, I think, tells it all because I think here he is, Lex is looking at this crazy man and didn't know what the hell he was going to do. So he wanted to get out of the uh, cage. Yeah. Oh, I think it's fair to say that. You know, that if Bruiser Brody wanted to hurt you, he would have no problem doing it. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you know, you you're talking tell. about a guy like six foot seven, <laughs> 325, 30 pounds. That's a big dude, you know? Yeah, you, you, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, you could tell uh, you know, that about a minute, about a minute, maybe two minutes, not, not even, maybe like a minute, minute and a half into that match when, when Lex grabs his, you know, they, they tie up, they push, he grabs that arm. 
and you could tell like wait a minute something just didn't look right and it's like yeah. okay and then every kick to the head and and push into the cage was very real after that oh, but um yeah. I, barbara to, to expand on that a a recent video that that's gone pretty uh Viral, for lack of a better term, uh, as as he announced his retirement and a docu series became famous. The the uh, Mark Calloway, the Undertaker, was on a, a, a Steve Austin's podcast, and he was telling stories, kind of you know, for the first time in his career, kind of breaking character. And he told a story about his first match being against Bruiser, wow. and he was green as as green as you know what he say, you know, green green as dirt or green as shit, and and. He the grabbed an arm and he pushed grass, the face man. a little too hard, and he told the story. Bruiser set him straight. So I'm wondering, did, did was that was that just a respect for the business, or was maybe there just a little bit of joy in? Uh, you, did you see that, Barbara? Did you see what I did to that 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 new kid? I bet he uh, he he gets his so you know. No, it was like I wish I wanted to do a good match, but. You know, because I've heard a lot from some of the other wrestlers too, like uh, Wahoo did. He would take him under his wing, especially going yes. to Japan. He, when they, especially when he went to Japan, he really took the ones that had never been to J Japan and showed them how to do it and showed them what to do and kind of lit them into the business a little bit because that was a hard – Japan was a very hard territory. Yeah. And back in his day, you have to remember – there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of venues back in those days. This was before there was just a few little wrestling organizations, nothing that was really big. It was when Cable had first come out and Ted Turner yeah. and you know, so there wasn't not like it is today when the WWE uh, took hold and everything. So yeah. it was a little different. That's why Japan was so important because that you didn't make any money in the old days. It's like mm -hmm. Carol had said. Yeah. It was he showed me some of his books and it was like $25 here and $20 here. And all the boys would uh, get four of them in a hotel room and sleep on the floor yeah. because there, yeah. was no, there wasn't any money back in those days. And they were in a car driving, especially I think uh, Bill Watts's territory way back in the old days. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's, you know, uh, along those lines, Carol, uh, yes. has Jimmy ever um, expressed an interest in, uh, and taking some of the boys under his wing and, uh, like, cultivating their talent and nurturing them. Yeah. Uh, and what was his, uh, what was his, uh, for lack of a better word, his his technique or his style of coaching young the young guys? He basically just tell them. I mean, they would, if they had, he wouldn't go up to them, but if they had the nerve to walk up to him, then he would say, sit down, brother, let's talk. Okay? And he would talk to them, and he would tell them, he said he would smarten them up. And then he would say, if they were working him that night, they would say, listen, it's, a, it's like a dance. Okay. You follow my lead and we'll be fine. Okay. You know what to do. So it's like a dance. And then he would sit, he would calm him down and say, nice and easy, nice and easy. So he was always, you know, told him like ahead of time, they knew what was going to happen and all that. But uh, he would just say nice and easy. Don't worry about it. Cause some of them would get so scared when he would, be diving on them, you know, off the cage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just follow what I tell you to do. Do what I tell you and you will be fine. But you had to trust. <laughs> you had to trust him because that was scary. <laughs> for him well, yeah, you know, um, it was interesting because uh, the show that I did in Atlantic City, and Jimmy worked for me, uh, I had him in there with Tom Brandy. 
And uh, you know Tom. Yeah, Great yeah. Guy. Well, yeah. Um, and Jimmy went against uh, a couple of local guys. Um, uh, Breaker Morant, of course, uh, uh, Matt Boyd, and uh, Big Slam Vader. Okay. And that was uh, that was Breaker Morant's first time uh, in a ring against a big name. Oh, okay. And, and not just one. Now he's got two big names mm. on the other side of the ring. He and we talked about that match afterward, and he said Jimmy Snooker works like a feather. And if you know the wrestling lingo, that mm-hmm. means he works smooth. Right. And he works light. But he may look like he's killing you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the greatest compliment is when you can work and sell, like Karen said, if you don't sell, they're going to make you sell, especially right. the old school guys. Well, um, scared me in the beginning. I always thought he was hurt. <laughs> Well, I, let's talk about that. Did he yeah. ever, did he ever kayfabe you like uh, an injury, like uh, really like work you, try to get you sympathy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he used to, you know, did he? and yeah, but I figured it out after that, you know, but he would, it would come out and he would keep his head down or whatever. And he put a towel over his head and he wouldn't talk. And I'd say, are you all right? And he'd say, yeah, all right, let's just get in the car. And I'd say, do you need anything? I mean... And then he would just look at me and wink, and he would just laugh, and he'd say, "I'm oh, fine." The the rule was like I I worked for uh, was an insurance underwriter, so the rule was he didn't come to my office to tell me how to do my work. So when I went with him, <laughs> I didn't say anything about anything he did. I would just sit back and trust him to do what he had to do. Exactly. And then I, you know, as I realized he knew what he was doing, I stopped worrying. People used to Go say, ahead, aren't you afraid of him doing that? And I'd say, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So That's that's actually a, a good segue to another question I have. When we had Karen, when we had you on the show, you told us a story about the, uh, the, the work you did with wardrobe and a lot of the input you had there. So uh, to, to have you expand on that a bit, and then Barbara Carroll as well, um, what kind of, of input did you two have in the look and the feel? I know, Carol, you, you just said you, you didn't, you know, he didn't run your business. Don't don't have the input on his. But yeah. a lot of times you hear these stories about guys that, you know, OK, we got a match coming up, maybe you know, new new tights, new boots, something. Yeah. Did, did they ever did did, did, did your, your husbands ever come to you and be like, what do you think of this look or how do you think uh, the name of this? Does this sound right? You know, were you guys sounding boards? For me to answer that, Wahoo had a lot of ideas. And being the booker, I think he invented Luna down there in Florida. I think Luna was there. He invented her with her uh, hair and all that kind of stuff. But he never really asked me. His gimmick was a gimmick I can't make feathers, you know. He got his boots from a certain guy in Australia. Um, So I didn't have any input there. But as far as I was a lot a lot younger than he was and I think I've told you all this he wanted to keep me very busy (laughs) he volunteered me to sew a lot so I ended up as Olivia Walker made most of Flair's robes I made three or four of Flair's robes I made a couple of Tully's robes I made Rick Rude's robes I made um, Manny Fernandez chaps and things like that that sort of things um so I stayed a little bit busy doing that, 
And I also told you I did the food for their TV. I catered the food, and Greg Valentine would be waiting on the deviled eggs as soon as they got there. <laughs> he got a southern girl making deviled eggs, you know. Yeah. But um, that would be my per se input. And I will do a little sidebar here that I have been contacted by A&E to maybe do a segment on uh, they're doing some shows. They're, they're possibly newly doing some shows called Wrestling Memorabilia, and I'll be on one of those episodes. Oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about the robes and, the, and which ones I made and that sort of thing. I yeah, made we actually talked stuff. about that. I think that's yeah. going to happen, Karen. I really yes. do. Yeah, that yeah. I heard from the producer today. It looks like maybe September-ish. Okay. Okay, cool. So, Go ahead, Carol. No, I was just saying to Karen that I also made Jimmy, a lot of Jimmy's outfits. I made his son's outfit and his daughter's outfits in the beginning, Tamina. So, yeah, I used to make them all the, all the time. That was one of the first things he said to me. He came up with this big blanket. It had a big tiger head on it. And he says to me... Uh, can you sew this on the back of my jacket? And I said, what? <laughs> I was, yeah, I can do it, but why do you want that there, you know? And, like, I wasn't really big in wrestling, you know? So he says, I, I, I need it on there. I need, this is my jacket that I walk out in, and I need this big tiger head on the back of it. So I tried to talk him out of it a few times, but I could have <laughs> my better judgment. But he knew, what he was and I didn't understand, so... Yeah, but I, I, you know, I would make his outfits and stuff like that. And his wife before that made his outfits also. Carol, so, did he ever come up with something that was so outrageous you had to fight him on it? Yes. Tell he me wanted, about it. Do you know those outfits that they used to wear at the gym all the time? And uh, like the baggy pants and then, uh, and then the, the shirts was uh, like a pirate type shirt. Yes. Well, you had the gathered sleeves up here. It's like that Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yeah, the, the puffy he gym wanted shirts. wanted to make those shirts for him in like bright colors, reds and pinks and greens and blues. But they were like down here, buttoned up the front in satin. It's a big puffy sleeve. And uh, I always found an excuse where I, I couldn't pick it up. <laughs> I, couldn't, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that would look like on Superflash Nooka. Yeah, well, you know what? He looked good in just about anything. He probably could have worn it, right? Excuse right, me just a second. Crazy. Well, I'm, I'm glad that good sense and reason won out on that one. Go ahead, Dan. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say, going off of that, um, Barbara, you, you joked earlier about the, the chain. Uh, were you ever a, a sounding board, or, or did you did he ever come to you with ideas like, "What do you think of this"? You, you mentioned how you were the mark. Uh, did you ever have more of an input in some of what he said and did? It, it was the boots. I always had to go find the rabbit fur for his boots because they didn't last that long, and that was getting harder and harder to find. And then we'd just glue it on the boots, and yeah. then I think oh. the jacket too. Yeah, we had the furry boots. Really. So, well, you see, the thing about Bruiser Brody, he didn't have, like, a, an elaborate gimmick. He would come out sometimes in that, you know, that, that fur vest that he had for a while. Yep. And then, of course, you know, he had the fur around the boots. Mm-hmm. But, and, uh, you know, I mean, every once in a while, I imagine he had to change out his chains. <laughs> <laughs> 
as long as, long as they were th- they were the chains had to be long enough to stay over people's heads. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and only to be used in Japan, right? That, that was pretty easy. Well, here, who knows? Here he had two by fours. I mean, <laughs> yeah, went to rings and hearses and ambulances and a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I think that's what people remember was just the crazy stuff when you really come down to. It. Well, talk about different. crazy stuff. Let's talk about crazy stuff. Let's talk about spending, you know, an entire program, almost uh, a year and a half, working Abby, our friend Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I love Abby. He's a bullshitter extraordinaire. Uh-huh. He can... He, <laughs> He can tell a, a, a tall tale with the best of them, but oh he's a really God. sweet guy. He's a nice guy. But Bruiser Brody and Abdullah the Butcher worked it would seem like forever in this program. And everywhere they went, they just bled buckets. Oh, Dan, sorry. tell me if I'm making any no, of this up. No. You're right. They, uh... they bled buckets. Buckets. Dan, pick the story up. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. The the and and I'm sure Barbara will uh, back back us up on this, but but not just the blade jobs. A lot of that blood came out the hard way, and it was uh it that was part of the appeal. And and it's 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 actually perfect that you have uh you know, the, the other. I mean, Jimmy Snook on one side and Wahoo Thale on the other because you have three. Innovators of the style. I mean, really, before the the, the Abdul the Butcher Bruiser Brody feud was really the first the the world's first exposure to that death match blood. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! These two are actually look like they're killing each other. Yeah. And then obviously Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> yeah. Nobody had seen a big man fly like that before. And and with Wahoo, nobody had seen the the chops and the the, oh, the presentation sticking in his hand. Exactly. He almost lost a TV in uh, the Mid-Atlantic Territory over that because he stuck a fork in his head. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. That's very true. Oh, now, I know. I used to think Wahoo controlled his blood pressure bleeding all the time. He wouldn't take blood pressure pills, but he would bleed every night and his blood pressure would go down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When Dan, you remember the first time Karen told that story? We were all like, our mouths were open. It was like, really? Are you kidding me? He used to cut himself to lower his blood pressure. Holy shit. He was bleeding every night. He didn't even have to cut himself most of the time. His head would start bleeding. And I think I told you one time he came home and he had kind of stumbled in the house. I think he'd had a few cocktails. You know what I mean? Yeah. I woke up and I said, well, we've got to have the house painted. It looks like there's been a murder in here. He had bounced off all the walls. There was blood all over the walls. I was like, it was just a typical day, you know. When you told that story before, we were just like, we just, we all stood here going like shaking our heads like, oh my God. Now, we have an interesting thing here because Jimmy Snooker, and Bruiser Brody not only knew each other, but worked with each other. Yeah. Uh, tag team and against each other. So now, it, how how long have you guys known each other, Carol and Barb? We're uh, just 
Facebook friends and Facebook friends for a couple of years. But yeah. other than that, we've only just started talking. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, just like that, because like I said, with the you have to remember it's uh, thirty two years, and well, it's coming up now next month, July. Yeah. That, I actually uh, have a photograph behind me. I want you to see. I'm going to move for a second. I'll yeah. take my microphone. That one there. There's yeah. a, a photo right. I see that. Uh, there it is, right there. Right behind you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bruiser Brody and Jimmy Snooker. I believe, uh, Carol, that picture, I believe, was taken in Japan. Barb, am I right about that? Yeah. Definitely. There's quite a story behind that picture. I think that was when they came back. They had left one organization. They were out of work in Japan for a while, and then they were brought back. If I remember, it was. It was, that's why Jimmy and Frank were, that's why he just respected Jimmy so much because right. they didn't, they came. I remember I was in California and I met him in uh, San Francisco. I was getting off the plane. He called me and said, I'm coming home. I said, well, your tour's not even over. He said, I'll explain when I get home. And he arrived at the airport and he sat Jeff down and he said, hey, uh, I'm, you know, I've come home with no money. They were, Jimmy and him had walked off the bus right before they finished the contract, and they both came home without anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, because they weren't being treated right, and Jimmy stood up with Frank because Jimmy didn't have to do it. He, yeah. he stood up with Frank when Frank said, I'm leaving. This yeah. is just yeah. BS. I'm leaving. And Jimmy said, bro, I'm going to come with you. And yeah. they both left together. And then they were out. I mean, they left a lot of money there in Japan because it was yeah. you know, after working there for many weeks. And then, of course, after a while, they were invited back. And I think that's the picture when they were invited back, if I remember. I could be wrong, but it, it was, that was Barb, because when Frank, when, Frank, when Frank was in Japan. Did he wrestle for Baba or Inoki? He started off with Baba. And this is why I think it was Baba, what the problem was. And that's when he left and he went to Inoki. Oh, yeah. And gotcha. then now, Carol, back, when, when they Jim, invited him back. When Jimmy wrestled in Japan, did he wrestle for, uh, for Giant Baba or uh, Antonio Inoki? I don't even know. I, I, I didn't know Jimmy then. I don't know. Oh, but I know that he, oh, he told me that uh, when the, when the Bruiser Brody and him would go to Japan, it was like they'd walk down the street and he'd say people would just part, you know. He said they just kind of like ruled it over there. They were treated like kings. He absolutely yeah. loved it in, in Japan. And, uh, yeah, I, he tried to explain that whole situation about, you know, they were working for one and things weren't going right. And he did... Give your husband credit. He said, when he said it, he said, I'm with you. He said, I'm totally yeah. with you. So I he tr know. totally trusted him. Yeah. Well, and now, I Carol, know. how did you, uh, how did you and Jimmy meet? I never found out the story of how you guys, like where you met, how you met. Well, I met Jimmy in Runnymede. It was a restaurant in Runnymede. And uh, I was actually doing a favor for a friend of mine who was. What restaurant? I know Runnymede well. You, you know, Mulberry there. Street. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was Mulberry Street, and she and there's. I got news for there. you. I lived across the street on Evesham Road. Oh, I grew up in Runnymede. 
Yeah. Oh my God, this is a small world. That, that's funny. Yeah. So I was just doing this girlfriend, girlfriend a favor. She had a job there and she was nervous about it and all that. And she was the bartender that was going to be at the bar, at the restaurant bar. It was a restaurant and it had a bar. Yeah. So she said, can you just come in and sit next to the cash register so I can have someone to talk to? So I said, I don't know about that. So I talked to my sister and I said, you got to go with me. I got a good favor for this girl. So we went in there and then Jimmy walks in and he ate. And then after he ate, they walked over to the bar. And, uh, you know, everybody said, that's, do you know who that is? And I said, he looks really familiar. Now he was wearing a ponytail, slippers, okay. And he had these gym, gym outfit on where the shoulders were hanging off and all that. And his headband and that long yeah. hair. And I'm thinking like, he looks different. He looks really unique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've seen that somewhere though. So everybody was telling me that it's Jimmy Snook, and I said, oh, yeah, I, I think that's who it is, because my kids watched the, the Saturday morning wrestling. So Jimmy was doing his own thing, and, and they saw me sitting at the register, and I was sitting with my sister, and um, he just uh, takes his glass, and he takes his glass like he's going to uh, toast to me like this, and he goes, toast. So I had long hair at the time, and I'm thinking, there's no one around me. So I don't know if he's toasting me or what. So I do one of those little trick things, you know, with your hair, Barbara. And I'm kind of like, yeah. <laughs> no one's behind me. And he's laughing and he's going, yeah, you. So he over to me and he says that, oh, fine. Uh, can you do me a favor? And I said, it really depends on the favor. <laughs> he said, just let me stand here with you and let me tell people I'm with you and then they won't come and keep taking me away because everybody, you know, would say, oh, the owner wants to see you come in the back here and this one wants to see you. And he says, I, you know, I just want to sit still. So I said, yeah, I could probably do that if you think it would work, but I don't know. So that's how I met him. So you were, you were his cover for the <laughs> night. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's funny. So what, how long after that did you just like, you have a date or, uh, well, how, I, how did, so here's the here's the question I want to know. I'm yeah. sure Dan wants to know too. Yeah. So we're just going to ask you, how the hell does Superfly Snooker ask somebody out on a date? <laughs> well, it's the funniest thing because um, I told you I had my sister with me, right? Yeah. So every time he would ask me out because he was still working a lot, so he would ask me. He'd say, you know, after work on such and such, I'm I'm off on, on such and such day. If I drive down, can I take you out to dinner? And I say, well, I don't know. Um, I'll ask my sister <laughs> if she's available. And he said, okay, bring your sister. So I'd say for the first six months, I brought my sister everywhere I went. Because it's like, you know, he's he's an athlete. He's prob I know he's been everywhere, you know what I mean? And I can't judge him on, it, on his past and where he's been because everybody's lived before, you know. But it was like, I wasn't going to be alone with them. That's for darn sure. <laughs> so I had my sister go everywhere until she finally said, I'm not going anymore. Okay. <laughs> if you want to go out and have dinner with this guy, you're going on your own. But uh, funny. I thanked him at one point and I said, you know what? You were really so nice because every time we went out, you took my sister everywhere. And you took both of us out. And he said, yeah, he says, yeah, he said, you're welcome. He says, it wasn't that bad, actually. And I said, what do you mean? He says, two good-looking blondes. 
what's not to like? <laughs> exactly. Go ahead, so Dan. He just laughed. He, I said, oh, now I figured it out. It took me a while. <laughs> tell, you, tell you what, we uh, we talk about moving up the, you know, a lot of times, Angelo, we talk about people moving up the card. That's a that's a hell of a promotion. You went from decoy to wife. That's yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I didn't marry Jimmy until two thousand and four, so uh, exactly. It, yeah, we Speed. took a lot of time. He was traveling, you know, but when he was, you know, around and not whatever, he would call me up, and then we would go out. But um, yeah, it took quite a while because I was going very slow because I had been married before and he was married before, mm-hmm. and we weren't going to jump into anything. That's yeah. fair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, <clears throat> of the of of that 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 type of story, uh, Barbara, I'm curious. Given the the larger than life persona that he that he's had, do you mind sharing with us the the story of how you get courted by uh, uh, for how you and Frank ended up together? Well, it was like I was working in the hotel where all the boys would stay in Sydney, Australia, and. As I said, once, be- once again, it was before computers, before everything. So once in a while, I'd work the front desk when they needed help. So I would give them their mail and they would talk to them because it, lo- it was very lonely back in those days because a phone call was very, very expensive. There was no cell phones or anything. Mm-hmm. So they, they would talk to me and they'd show me their families and they'd show me the mail and, they, you know, they would talk and they were like all my brothers. They were just, you know, no agenda. I didn't want anything. They didn't want anything. It was just like being, you know, a friend to lonely people. Right. And, and then, then Frank came. And then this one night, I'd known him for quite, you know, quite some time. This one night, I just happened to be working the late shift. And my boss was an American gentleman. And he had another, he had a bar up the street called the Birmingham Beef. And it was like 11 o'clock, I was just getting off, and all the boys came back from one of their matches in uh, in Sydney. And, of course, they were friends. I said, well, you just finished work. Why didn't you just come up and, uh, you know, have a drink with us? I said, well, okay, because, you know, when you work late, you're not, your day starts. You can't mm-hmm. just go home and unwind. It kind of takes a while to unwind after working. So we got there, and there was a, like, Ten of them at the table. There was pillow crop. There was midgets. There was, there was. I mean, I met so many people over there. Andre the Giant was there. Yeah. I met Don Morocco, Rick Mattel. I mean, I could just go on and on. JJ Dillon, Tony Guerrero. JJ is still my friend today. I just talked to oh, him. Yeah. In fact, I talked to him. Was it yesterday or something? I think there it was go. Sunday. And. Uh, you know, I mean, I've known these ones for 42 years. <laughs> 42 years. I keep forgetting <laughs> how long. And so we were all just sitting at the table. And then one by one, they started leaving. I thought, well, this is, you know, this is strange. You didn't think anything of it. And we're talking away. And then there was three of us there. There was Killer Carl Crump, who also departed. There was Frank. And then there was myself. And then he gets up. Then Carl gets up and leaves, which left me. And Frank. And of course, then we started talking. Well, like I've told the story, I found out later it was all a work because he didn't know how to get me by myself. So he got <laughs> the boys to work and they said, look, let's all just go up here and we can work. And maybe you got to leave so I can get her by herself. So that's kind of, that's kind of 
how it started and then like Carol, very slow just yeah. became because we were already friends first. And I think that's sometimes in a relationship that's important that's that you become friends because you're not trying to be anybody else. You're just yourself. You're, mm -hmm. you're real you. Because people, when they go out and dates, are usually trying to impress the other person. So they're not really showing the real personality. Yeah. So no, I that's a fair work. point. Yeah. Angela, hey, can I say something for a second? I just sure. got from Karen and her screen froze. And she's tried three times to get back and hasn't been able to get back. Yeah, she's actually contacted me now. Um, yeah. I think what I'm going to do is just call her on the phone here. Okay. We'll get her back. To her. Yeah, she just sent hey. me a text. Yeah. I was going to say, if you, uh, Angela, if you send me the number, I can add her to the chat that way. No, we got her. We okay. Got her. But um, that's that's funny. So he, yeah, he we had got the Karen guys... Back coordinate yeah, to, to get to leave one at a time and leave in a group and all yeah the guys help each other out yeah okay yeah so it was like no yeah because i'd known him for quite some time in the hotel and that just by talking and seeing him in passing and you know nothing like that but then as i said he thought well yeah i want to get her by herself how can i do this set the boys up set me up yeah, just happened that one night, and as I said, uh, the future, as you know, it's funny how you meet people. But as I go back and said, yeah. we were friends first before anything happened, just like Carol. Yeah. Well, we have Karen McDaniel back with us. Where did you go? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. The free. It just froze, and now it won't let me call back on the um, photo on the Skype. Can you? You can't see me, can you? No. no, no, no. Okay, okay, but you can hear me. I've tried to call yeah. back, but it wouldn't, it would not work. So we're okay. No, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Carol. Um, we're going to have my producer Dan is going to call you back here in just a second. Okay. Okay. Just Good hang deal. in there. Okay. All right. Bye. You bet. Okay. Go ahead, you guys. Yeah. It's funny because I haven't used Skype in so long. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to figure it out. And I'm thinking it's going to be sitting here with no one on the screen here. <laughs> well, I had no idea. I, I I feel quite proud of myself. I actually did something with technology. <laughs> I kept going and going. Well, it can't be that hard. But yeah. for someone like me, it was very hard. But I yeah. got it. I can't yeah. believe it. Then they wanted me to do something like characters and put numbers in, and it was Forget so all weird. that. Yeah. yeah. Finally, you yeah. want you to prove that you're a person. Well, I know, right? <laughs> and then I kept putting the numbers in that they said, the letters and numbers. Put these characters in. It kept coming back. That's not right, but it's right there. And then there was an audio that said, "Type these words in." Well, the audio was so bad that it was hard to get the. The you know the uh, letters that they wanted me to type in. But yeah, I did it. Hey. we're gonna we're gonna oh, get Karen Kevin. back. <laughs> yeah, Dan's gonna get Karen back in just a second. Good on you, Dan. Yeah. You know, right. you're talking about how these guys will give you the shirt off their backs. Yeah. Hello. Is literally. Hey, Karen, can you hear us? The shirt off their back. I can hear you. Yes. Too many times. Okay. The, yeah. Absolutely. You swear and give it to somebody. You're uh, so yeah. many headbands away. I had to keep making them. He was always giving his headbands away. Sir, 
Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Karen, we've got you back. Um, okay. the, the, for some reason, it won't let me sync the video, but we've got you on audio only with everybody. You can hear us all? Okay. Yes, I can hear you all now. We had a couple of sonic booms go off right before mm. it froze. So I don't know if it disconnected something around here. I had 180 pounds worth of dog trying to jump up here on the bed and sit in my lap. So, <laughs> I saw. You know, you know how it is. They're scared to death of everything, but everybody's right. scared of them. Right. I know, right? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm back. Go ahead. What y'all talking about now? Well, we, we were... Uh, <laughs> A little bit of everything. Yeah, uh, uh, Carol and, and... If you don't mind, Carol and Barbara had just shared the stories of how they how they, you know, their, their relationships started. Do you, do you I know we, we touched on it the first time, but for those that, that don't remember, do you mind uh, telling no, us the story of a, how you and yeah, you know, Wahoo, how you and Wahoo meet? Not at all. We, um, I had moved up to Raleigh where um, my cousins lived and from Havana, Florida, it's a little town near Tallahassee. And I had moved up there and um, started to work in a bar and it happened to be the bar in the, um, the Hilton in downtown Raleigh, where the wrestlers stayed every week, um, weekly. They did their TV there. They wrestled at Dorton Arena, and then they did their um, TV at WRAL on Wednesdays. And I worked in the bar there, and then my girlfriend, her mother brought her up to stay with me, and she worked in the bar also. And then she met this wrestler, goodness, what is his name? Let's see, Rick Flair. Anyway... <laughs> Yeah, Rick Flair. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they got married and uh, they ended up in Charlotte. And then about four years later, they introduced me to Wahoo. And um, so that's kind of how that happened. So, and I, I was adamant. I did not want to meet a wrestler. You know, one of my old friends from home said, Well, who did Karen marry? Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. They said, Well, an Indian chief. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, so that's kinda, yeah. Although I, that's kind of how that went, and and I honestly, they kind of set it up, and I met him, and yes, he was quite a bit older than I was, but I was just, and and I'm Wally was not the prettiest man in the world, but you just were captivated when you got around him, and I loved him because he wasn't a bragger, he didn't talk about how great everything he'd done in his life was, which not many, excuse my. Praise, um, but not many men could hold his jock straps for what all he had done in his life. And exactly. he, he never bragged. Yeah. He never bragged about it. He never bragged. He, you know, still holds records at Oklahoma that'll never be broken. He never bragged. I didn't know he played for the NFL for nine years. I didn't know any of that, and mm. until people would talk about it in front of me, you know. Well, let's be honest and, um, about it. You know, n none of these guys were, you know, playgirl centerfolds, okay? No, um, no, no. They were, you know, rough-looking, big muscle-bound, you know, guys, you know, scary Jimmy if you don't know who handsome. they are. Jimmy was pretty yeah. handsome. <laughs> yeah. Well, well yeah, right? we think, I mean, but I if you, but if you don't, handsome. Here's the thing, though. Here's the point I was getting at. If yeah. you don't know, you know, there's an element of fear and, yeah. you know, and the unknown. But yeah. all three of these guys were so opposite the characters that they played 
you know, on television uh, uh, in and of course in arenas around the world. But they came across and Dan and I talked about this on a previous show. They came across as larger than life. Now, in the case of Bruiser Brody, he was larger than life because he was huge. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. But, uh, you know, but Jimmy Snuka and Wahoo McDaniel were not super huge guys, but their personalities mm-hmm. walked in 20 minutes before they did. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I Let's talk to tell about Carol, that. I, I, well, in, in saying that, I wanted to tell Carol this. The last time I saw Snuka was in uh, 2009 at WrestleMania, and I walked up, and we hadn't seen each other since probably the 80s. And he immediately ran up to me and hugged my neck. And that yeah. made me feel like a million dollars and met my son and, you know, and was just, it just made me feel, you know, it made me feel great. I was glad to see him. You know, yeah. I really was. But that was the last time I got to see him. But I knew him more in the early 80s. I think it was when he was in the Mid-Atlantic Territory. And um, I never saw people fly around off rings like he did and flip flop. And I, I never, we, we didn't have that. You know, they do that a lot now, but he was yeah. the only one then that did anything mm-hmm. like that. So right. I just wanted to tell you that. Thank I never you. had the, uh, you're welcome. I never had the opportunity to meet Bruiser Brody, but I, Wahoo spoke of him very highly. I also wanted to mention that to you, Barbara. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Jimmy often yeah. spoke about, you know, your husband and your son. Yeah, you were yeah talking thank about, you. I wonder how old he is now. Uh, your son, Parker. Son yeah. Would be the one that he met. He was th- he's 31. He'll be 32 in January. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. he's a big boy. He's, uh, he, I've, I've told him before, he's been known to clear a few bars out, too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't heard stories. Give, yeah, don't mean people give him too, too much trouble. And he's a kind, mild-mannered young man. And while he was a kind, mild-mannered man, but you just don't push those buttons. <laughs> oh, sure. That's yeah. it. That's well, you it. know, you that's that's one thing buttons. I've never asked you, Barb. Uh, that's That's a question I've never asked you. Have you ever seen Frank, like, legitimately... Loses temper. Yes, not only once we were getting we were getting work done at the house, and he found out that one of the workmen was cheating him. What the the workman was not there. He was charging us this amount of money, and he wasn't there to pick up delivery. And of course, when the delivery came, they had the original invoice here, and it wasn't anything close to what oh, no. the person oh. had said. So, you can just imagine when the guy came. In fact, he chased him down the road. That was. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, he, uh, he, he, he was, was livid. What, what, kind of mind, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to try and cheat somebody who beats people up for a living? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I know. But the dumb thing was not being there to pick up delivery so we had to get frank to sign for the delivery and of course all the all the numbers are on that delivery page and it was totally different than what the guy had said what he was paying i'm sorry i have to charge you this much because i have to pay this much and Uh. i couldn't get get it etc etc well my question would be 
Why would you even think about <laughs> cheating a guy that's like six foot seven, three hundred and thirty pounds? Like, why would you even consider that option? I I know. Well, you know that's, people. <laughs> yeah, you know people. That's the first thing, and I know, like like Carol and Karen. Uh, I know he had a few run-ins with a few of the promoters too. Yeah, I was not privy to that, but I know there was. You tried to cheat him, and that was yeah, they did. Well, true. let that's a great that's a great segue, Dan. Why don't you pursue that line of questioning? Yeah, you know, uh, Karen, when you were on the show, you told us the story and you mentioned it earlier yeah. about uh, how Wahoo had you there with the clicker based oh, on yeah. get paid. And um, I, I know as soon as you said that, I saw the reaction Barbara and Carol had. Um, I'm going to throw this to you, ladies. Uh, you got you all have, I imagine, at least one or two stories of the promoters because it was the, the, the territory days, especially in the 70s and 80s. The promoter, a lot of the promoters were notorious crooks. And uh -huh. I'm wondering how, you know, like, 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 how does that go about and, and how does that get remedied, especially in, in, in Karen, in your case, Wahoo's reputation for standing up for the boys. And I know, uh, I'm sure both Frank and Jimmy would have done the same thing with, yeah. uh, you know, if, if they knew everybody was getting cheated. So uh, I'm going to throw that to you all the, for the stories of, of dealing with some of this, some of those crooks. Well, if it, if it was up to Jimmy, he'd still be broke because Carol made sure he got paid. <laughs> Hard, hard to hard to cheat a guy that wants to work for free. Well, his 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 friend Jeff always talks about the story from Saudi Arabia, where they uh, decided they weren't going to pay them. So Jimmy just basically told the locker room, "Don't don't do anything, don't work unless I say work. If I don't say anything, don't do anything." And he said it was like time was ready, the show was ready, and the audience is all going crazy. And Jimmy says, "Where's the money?" And they said, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's on its way. So then they tried to just give Jimmy his money. And he says, okay, where's everyone else's money? He said, they'll get it, yeah. they'll get it. He says, nope, we're not going on. And it went on for hours until he came in there with machine guns and everything else and brought shrunks of money for everybody. And everyone got paid. And then they did the show. But, yeah, I remember there were promotions. That's a good story. Carol, can I pick up uh, 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 where you kind of left off at? Yeah, sure. I was at a show for a, a local promotion here in New Jersey. It wasn't my show. I was I was working. I was actually working the show. I've seen Jimmy Snooker do something that I've only seen one or two other guys do. The promoter, who if I mention his name, you'll know who I'm talking about. So I'm not going to mention it, but. He's no longer with us. Let's put it that way. Okay. Okay. And I think you know who I'm talking about. I got check marks next to them in my book. I know who yeah. they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Jimmy went into his pocket. Yeah. And I've, I've only seen a couple of guys do this. You know where I'm going with this story. Yeah. Yeah. He actually went into his pocket and paid the boys his money. And he walked out of there with nothing. With nothing. I think he might have had 10 bucks left. Yeah. But he didn't leave until everybody got something, even if it was 20 or 30 bucks. But yeah. I saw Jimmy Snooker empty his wallet out to a locker room because a promoter didn't have the money. 
Well, here, yeah. here's my my. Th- I ran promotions for 24 years, okay, mm-hmm. and I always paid the guys. The first thing I did when they showed up, they got their pay envelope. Right. A lot of guys would pay you after the show. I was mm-hmm. one of the very few people, about four or five guys that I that I knew would pay you before you even worked. Right. Okay, I was one of them. That night that Jimmy worked for me, and that was a charity show. Mm-hmm. But I told Jimmy I was going to pay him for traveling there and for, for being there. And I went to pay him, and he did not take my money. And I, and I know for a fact that he emptied out his wallet at the bar and treated everybody oh, that yeah. night. Yeah. I remember. I remember hearing these stories. Including from the bartender who said he bought everybody in the place a drink. Yep. You know, and that's he the kind of that. guy he was. Like I said, Dan, if it was up to Superfly Snooker, he'd have worked. For everybody was just. <laughs> yeah. You know, he would, Carol, but thank you. I had for, to. <laughs> for coming into his life and, and making sure that he got, you know, what he was worth. Right. Go ahead, Dan. I'll show what he do, what he was doing, and entertaining the people. I remember one of the first shows I went to with him. Uh, the promoter it was up in New York somewhere, and the promoter didn't do any promotions. So we went in there, and I'm waiting and waiting, and I'm thinking, like, where is everybody? And he said, uh, "Looks like he didn't promote this show or whatever." And I said, "Oh, good, we get to go home early, right?" <laughs> and he says, "No." I said, well, "What are you going to do?" He says, "Oh no, there's people here." And they come to see a show, and I'm going to do the same exact show I would do if there was a thousand people in here, or if there's fifty people in here. So they would, yeah, they wanted to make sure that everyone got their money's worth and everyone was entertained. They're actually entertainers. They just really yeah. enjoy entertaining. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I go ahead, Dan. Yeah. No, go ahead, Barbara. I don't know if there was too many that didn't pay him. I think they were too scared not to pay him. <laughs> he went in there. He would go demand his money because they didn't know what he might do. I think, yeah. well, like I said, yeah. there was, the, the two things were there was the Japan. But what happened is if he didn't get paid, they had they wanted to bring him back, eventually bring him back. So then they had to pay him what was oh yeah. because they knew that yeah. he would be the draw. And that's why he started up his own little promotion with Herb Simmons. And they would go around these little towns in Illinois and have little promotions. And he was getting a lot of the boys, uh, Terry Gordy, Hacksaw Higgins, because what he would do, he would say, this is how much you're going to be paid. I don't care, like you were saying, if there's 50 people in the house or if there's 1,000 people, or if there's 10,000 people, this is going to be your pay. And it was working because they knew they could trust him. When Frank said something, it right. was his word. He would never go back on his word. Absolutely. And so they're That's going to all these little, these little shows. This was just before it happened. And he'd also created a uh, company called uh, BAM, Brody Athletic Management, LLC, because mm-hmm. what he thought, he knew there was going to be a time after wrestling. Mm-hmm. So he knew... Right. Because he couldn't do what physically he couldn't do with his body what he was doing. There's just a matter of time before he just he, it would break down. I mean, you can't go out and give those bumps and do those high mm-hmm. kicks and fly off the top rope. Well, that's a, a great segue, Barb. Carol, 
Why did Jimmy work so late into his is into his life? Why did he? I I saw him in two thousand and six. Was the last time I physically saw him, and he was still working. Yeah. Why did he? He, wouldn't, continue, he, he didn't have to work. Why did he? Why did he continue? He did not. He was not ready to quit. Um, he felt that his life, he had a responsibility. He was always big on his responsibility. And when it, when it was just him and I, I was his responsibility. Did I say that right? Yeah. yeah. His responsibility was to take care of me. And I would say to him, we're fine. We're, we're fine. And he'd say, nope. Man's got to do his job. This is my job. I'm doing my job. Uh, that was his job. Yeah. And um, he felt that he was helping other people. A lot mm -hmm. of what he did was charity. We had certain charities that we, he would work for for nothing, and we would yeah. take money. We would charge them. I'd learned that the hard way. We would charge them, and then we would hand the money over to the charity because if we didn't do it that way, the charity wasn't getting it. You're constantly yeah. learning. You're constantly learning. So, yeah, yeah. he had his, his causes that he wanted to work for, and he just absolutely enjoyed what he was doing, and he felt as long as he could do it, he wanted to do it. So well, I'll tell you when he worked for me. He just had a fun time. Yeah, when he worked for me, I got it, and I'll say this: uh, it was two thousand and one um, uh, in Atlantic City at the Sands Casino, mm -hmm. uh, and I think Jimmy might have been probably, uh, and you might, you probably know better than I do, Carol, but he might have been about fifty-seven or fifty-eight, maybe. Yep. At the time. Yeah, right around there. And he was built like a brick shit house. I mean, he was solid. Yeah, yeah. And you know, but he—it's it, funny because before the show he goes, I said, "Right, you're gonna do the you're gonna do the superfly splash." He goes, "I'll do a little splash, brother." <laughs> yeah. So he went off the second rope instead of the top one because I he knew that his knees were. Remember when he was walking? He walked in kind of hobbling a little bit you know his knees yeah. you could tell his knees were were kind of in distress but well, he gave that kind of show was problem his ankle was the problem he had broken that a long time before he finally had a, a, a whole ankle replacement done but it was ankle was the problem oh okay yeah yeah i know because when he came in i noticed uh, that he was kind of favoring one side Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, I even said to him, you know, you don't have to go on. He goes, nah, brother. Nah, brother. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. You know, you know, every, if you knew Superfly Snooker, everybody was brother. Yeah. He had a lot of brothers, brother. Even the, sister, <laughs> even the sisters were brothers. And exactly. Even, even the women. <laughs> yeah. I used to tease him all the time because he would, uh, we were in Hawaii and he was talking to one of the women there and he kept calling her brother. And she go. Water. I have to imitate him. Don't call me water. I sister. Don't I look like sister? So it was like going back and forth, you know. Don't call me water. That's funny. <laughs> but he yeah, dance buddy, brother. Yeah. Well, um, I, the, the, I call, call everybody brother too. Yeah. I guess I hurt much, you know. Yeah, My brother. <laughs> but you can't say brother. You have to say brother. Brother. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, I guess the the final round of questions I would have for y'all, uh, I host a, a sub show 
on the program and we did we touched a couple of weeks ago on social media and its role in wrestling and one of the topics that that we talked about was there's been a lot of in the last five years specifically but about the last 10 years several high profile stories of wrestling gimmicks and storylines and other other things being dropped destroyed ruined whatever you want to call it by wrestling wives and girlfriends exposing the business on social media uh revealing that certain the, the couples existed that weren't acknowledged on television or that people weren't hurt when they really when they were pretending to be yeah. so um barbara i'll start with you and then i guess we'll, we'll go around um in the current social media age how would how would you and 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 frank have existed in the social media age Good that's, question. That's that's a really good question. Well, good I do one. know that with cell phones, there would be a lot of broken cell phones. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your questions because he was always he was very private of his family life and everything. And when he didn't want to talk to anybody, he would he would just take the phone off the hook. There was no answering machine or anything right control of who he talked to now with the cell phones and social media where we are on call 24 7 i really don't know i might even have some broken computers and (laughs) you know but i know cell phones for sure that would be dang so i don't know because let's face it and not to get into anything Everything that's been coming out because of the world that we live in today, it's just, I'm, I'm in an unbelievable state, unbelievable to what's happening in society right now. And a lot of that, as you talk about, is social media. Yeah. So it's very yeah. hard, but I, I don't think he would like it just because of the fact that it, put, it puts us out there all the time. Yeah. We're, we're trapped, yeah. we're, you know, everybody knows where we're at. When it's done right, like things like this, for information and that, it's great. I mean, I think social media, I can talk to my family all over the world. I have family all over the world from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. And I get to know what they're doing and I get to see the family. And that mm-hmm. gives me pleasure because otherwise I wouldn't know what they were doing. So that to me is where social media works. But for right. everything else, I wish people would just keep a positive slap on it. Yeah. Go ahead, Karen. Well, you know, what I was thinking about in this is it's really not a question that we can answer. Because it was a different time when my husband was alive or, or, or Brody was alive. Snooker was in it some, but... I mean, I told you when Eddie Mansell went on TV in um, 2020 and exposed the business, I thought my husband was going to have a heart attack. His business is over and turned white right. as a sheep. Yeah. I mean, and we and I told you all that Beth Flair and I would be fined if somebody caught us at Morrison's Cafeteria at South Park Mall in Charlotte eating together. The boys would be fined. I mean, yeah. they protected that um, mm-hmm. so well. That social media would oh, yeah. not have worked. Let me just put it that way. It would not have worked. Had any of the people who worked in the office ever put anything about the wrestling or anything else on social media, social media the yeah. wrestler would be fired or fired too much he'd have left anyway. So it's kind of a different time. Yeah. Carol, what would, what would Jimmy think of uh, 
uh, like Facebook and Twitter. He never would get on any of them. He he didn't. I, um, he did understand that uh, the internet was good as far as getting things out there. You know how he used to talk TV Wonderland and all that. Well, yeah, he I was going to ask you about that. Internet but, Wonderland. Bill Russo and Bill After both used that term. Yeah. TV TV Wonderland, brother. Out there in so, TV Wonderland. TV Wonderland. Did. Yeah, and that's why I asked you before, did he have any idea how famous he was? But that television got yeah. everywhere. I mean, it was he knew all, the television. You know how to use the television, because I remember him saying to me, when the camera, I know where the camera is, and mm -hmm. that's something you got to know exactly where the camera is, and that's when you make your move when the camera is there. So he did know how to work the camera as far as oh that. God, yeah. But as far as the, the internet and social media, <clears throat> I mean, everyone would ask him questions. It was like crazy. They would ask him questions. And then if I'm there with him, okay, and then he walks away, people would walk up to me and they'd say to me, um, so you live in Hawaii now, right? And I'd say, what? <laughs> say, Jimmy, Jimmy said, you just moved to Hawaii. And I say, oh, okay. Yes, right. He would not answer. He would just say whatever they wanted to say. They would say to him, so you live in Hawaii? Yep. Yep. <laughs> what did I say? You live in New York? Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Do not give away a lot of information at all. I know. Well, oh, I'll tell you what, ladies, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this one. Dan, do a word from our sponsor. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> as, we, uh, as, as we have uh, three lovely women with us, uh, I guess that's perfectly fitting that, that our sponsor, uh, friends of the program, our friends at manscaped.com for all your man trimming needs. Uh, for, so I guess, guys, you have to ask yourselves, as we've all been working with quarantine, uh, guys, when's the last time that your woman's gone down? town to get something to eat with you with the restaurants being closed so you really want to keep your your game on point as they would say and in order to do that you can do that with manscape and their hedge trimmers and their wonderful kits grooming supplies and even now with the uh, nose hair trimmer and ear hair trimmer attachments their wonderful undergarments just use the promo code wrestling future for all your manscape needs our friends at manscape.com and wrestling with the future if oh, wow. you are okay. if you are the wolf man from the waist okay. down, Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is available at manscaped.com as part of their starter kit. Enter promo code wrestling future for a 20% discount. I've got three women here that are busting a gut. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must say that you have to ask Flair if you ever get a chance how Wahoo Manscaped in the dressing room. No. <laughs> he didn't mind anybody seeing anything and he manscaped in the dressing room <laughs> oh my god Dan, remind me we got to try to get rick flair there you go <laughs> yeah well and well, if, if we can't about earlier about chops you can ask rick flair who taught him to chop and you can all and he, oh yeah we know that one we so, know that one yes flair will tell you he was the original manscaped because he definitely wasn't Indian, but he didn't want to have any, any, anything left um, to hint that there wasn't, which there wasn't. He was a true Choctaw, Chickasaw Indian, but um, yeah, but he knew how to manscape and didn't have any problems doing it in front of anybody. 
<laughs> well, we're well, going to have to say uh, goodbye to everyone. Barb, uh, anything you want to promote, plug a website, uh, any Bruiser Brody merchandise? Well, that's a good way. You know, I've got my book. If anybody's interested in uh, buying a book, uh, they can uh, message me and uh, I will sign it any way you want to sign it and get it to you. Brody is my book. And I wish I had a copy here. I could have held it up. Yeah. And how do people reach you? On Facebook. They can uh, reach me on Facebook under Barbara Goodish. Okay. Pan. And I'd be happy to uh, send them a book. Fabulous. Carol Snook, anything to promote? The only thing I want to say is that what I went through with Jimmy towards the end, Jimmy passed not from cancer. He passed from chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which comes from head injuries. Yes. And I know it's, it's extremely bad. I know what it's like. I lived it. Jimmy lived it. And if there's anyone out there that's listening, that's having problems, I, there's really not many places to go for help. So if anyone needs to talk or if there's anything I can do to help anybody through this, they can just reach me on Facebook. Okay, Carol Jennings, J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S, Snooker. But um, okay. I know it's, it's a terrible time and there's just nowhere to turn. Yeah, and I thank you for bringing uh, attention to that. CTE, uh, as it's uh, commonly referred to, is a uh, traumatic brain injury uh, suffered by most professional wrestlers. A lot of guys don't even know the, 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 the effects of it short and long term until, uh, until it's too late, until they're you know, well into their latter years. Um, but we're learning a lot more about it now, and thank you for bringing attention to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know what, Dan, that might be a great idea for a, a roundtable episode. Why don't you, um, why don't you and, and Jason, you know what, Carol, thank you. We're going to do a whole yeah. episode about that. You're welcome. Yeah. And maybe idea. we can maybe we can have you back to talk about it if you'd like to. Okay. Let me know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. And Karen McDaniel, always outspoken. Carol, where can people get a hold of you and anything you want to promote? Well, I mean, if, if anybody wants a robe, I can sure make one. They can get me on Facebook as Karen McDaniel, Panama City Beach, Florida. Uh, I'd love to make some more robes. Um, I'd like to go to some different things. Like, I'm so disappointed our Charlotte event the gathering has been canceled but i, I totally know. understand till yeah, next year um because i'd like to go and um we have some wahoo pictures and that sort of thing you know and uh greg valentine and i also have a shirt together we had a quite a few made that i'd be happy to sell uh some of them okay. and they're the ones that said they're black shirts they say i broke wahoo's leg <laughs> and uh we did we did real well selling those at the last gathering event but um the only thing i guess i can say is to, to what carol was speaking of is my husband was your typical american indian and they all have just like a lot of black people have high blood pressure and diabetes and he certainly didn't take care of his and he was on um, dialysis at age 55 yeah um, yeah. And died at 63, and that's pretty darn young, isn't it? Yeah, that's young. 
Yeah. So yeah. I would suggest, you know, that would be my only thing is that people try to take care of themselves, especially if they're predisposed to anything. Now, yeah, the absolutely. football, you know, football has all their concussion rules and regulations now, but, you know, they really don't with wrestling, do they? Mm-mm. No, they well, and Good and point. yeah, and that's a that's a great point. And I mm-hmm. think we have uh, three women here who can, you know, uh, collectively make a big difference in forwarding some kind of a, a health agenda, certainly a, at least a mental health agenda for a professional wrestling. There's a lot of guys, you know, uh, suffering long term out there. Uh, uh, as I said, a lot of them don't even know it until later in life. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um you know, maybe if you guys can get together and come up with some kind of plan, I would, you know, and I'll be the first to tell you, we'll, we will absolutely uh, uh, promote that on this show uh, and give a, a voice to you and a platform. Uh, no questions asked. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want to come back. Oh, um, okay. I would like to say one thing. It's sure, not Bob. pertaining to this. We lost another member of our wrestling family today, Killer Tim Brooks, which was a really, oh. which was, you know, Frank and him went back so long ago. And yeah, to say, I, I send my condolences to his family and I was happy yeah, that I could absolutely. see him last year. And just, just wanted, that, I, know Barb, I wasn't even aware of that. Uh, I know that I know Killer Tim Brooks was, uh, was suffering for a long yeah. time. He was very ill and he was battling. You know, uh, cancer. cancer. Yeah, yeah. cancer. And, and um, I'm sorry <laughs> to hear that he passed. I didn't. I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't you want know, to put down there on, but I just wanted to acknowledge that. As I said, it's our wrestling family, and uh, just wanted to give my condolences out. To Absolutely, them. and on behalf of Wrestling with the Future, we uh, extend our condolences to the family of Tiller Kim Brooks. So, um, and may I also say one thing? Uh, sure. Bob Armstrong has not been in good health and he's yes. getting older. That's right. But they had their 60th anniversary on Friday. He and Miss Gale and Miss Gale died um, two days yeah. ago. Oh, I did yeah. pass away, but they've been expecting him to go. And she would come to this. She's so precious. She'd come to these independent shows around here and she and I would sit together and sell stuff, you know, and, um, she wow. never went to the matches when her boys were growing up or anything, she said. But yeah. she told, she said, I love to ride with Bob now. She yeah. said, if he didn't get to come to these things, I mean, and people would wonder as old as he was, just like we were all talking about, why is he, she can't, She said, he'd be sitting on the couch driving me crazy. Yeah. That's what <laughs> he told me. And he loved to come. And he was so, he'd gotten, you know, where he would just pretty much walk around. But people just love to see him, and I've got to talk to her, and we talked about losing our one of our sons each and how hard it was, and yeah. she was a lovely person. I thought an awful lot of her. So, All just, right. So, you know. Well, we, okay. uh, we, we certainly uh, extend our condolences to the family of Bullet Bob and all the Armstrongs. Of course, uh, Brian Armstrong, uh, you know, formerly known as Jesse James Armstrong. Uh, Road Dog from WWE. Um, Dan, you want to tell everybody where they can find all of our promos? and 
Absolutely. Uh, obviously, we're available on YouTube. Wrestling with the Future podcast is available wherever podcasts are found. We're on more than 130 channels at this point. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Wrestling with the Future, and we have a private group, Wrestling with the Future podcast. We're on Twitter at Wrestling Future. That's no G, Wrestling Future. I'm on Twitter, the man underscore WWTF. I know, Angelo, you have your uh, your private Twitters as well, which you uh, more yes. to bring up. But, yeah, Wrestling with the Future, we are everywhere and everything. And as these ladies said, uh, it's very important to take, especially now as we grip with the first global pandemic I'm sure a lot of us have ever yes. lived through. It's very important to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to find me, uh, I'm at Psychic Angelo on Twitter. Of course, uh, as Dan mentioned, at Wrestling Future on Twitter. We now have an Instagram at Wrestling with the Future. So uh, you can hit us up on Instagram. Um, join us there. We're easy to find. Just uh, do the uh, old at symbol, Wrestling with the Future. There we are. You'll find our uh, upcoming guests. You'll find past guests. You'll find some videos, a lot of pictures. And uh, we will have a website up shortly, WrestlingWithTheFuture.com. Uh, you can find us also on our YouTube channel, as uh, Dan mentioned, uh, Wrestling with the Future podcast on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Find me on Facebook if you want to friend me. It's uh, Angelo DeZippio. Easy enough to find. And uh, just a, a heads up on uh, Thursday of this week, we've got, uh, I believe, probably the last of. Uh, or certainly one of the last of a generation, Joyce Grable, one of the uh, the last of the great female wrestlers, will be with us uh, for a, an exclusive part two of her interview. She uh, joined us for part one. I think Dan, you're doing that one. That is correct. All right, and you'll be, who's going to join you on that interview? I believe it will be me and Mikey Messier. Oh, beautiful. Right. Marvelous Mike, the movie maker Messier. That ought to be an interesting show. Yes, sir. I wish you luck now. <laughs> so, for Karen McDaniel, for Barbara Goodish, for Carol Snooker, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Happy wrestling. Happy Bye-bye. wrestling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. It's just you and I, Dan. He's still recording. I am recording, yes. Okay. Just you and I. So, we uh, we had one hell of a show. That was a great show. That's fair. Yeah, no, that Any was... Any thoughts? That was great. No, it's, it's great because... Like we've always said, I mean, we, we said it a hundred times that, that, that the appeal of this program, what we do that is so different, why we've grown so fast and gotten the fan base we have is because of the human side. And you just had some of the better stories I've heard in a long time about three of the yeah. biggest legends. I mean, even from from little things like uh, the uh, I didn't realize that was rabbit fur on on bruiser's boots, you know, Glue um, to his boot. <laughs> right. How, I mean, that's just a neat little detail or, or, uh, yeah. Carol telling, talking about how she had to, to talk Jimmy into getting paid and the, the stories of how everybody met. It's, it's so fascinating to get the human side, uh, especially when you have such larger than life characters. If it wasn't for Carol, Jimmy wouldn't have made a dime. <laughs> I'm serious. He worked for everybody for free. Right. 
she finally made sure he got paid and, and got paid what he was worth on top of it. That's funny, That's funny how there. they met. I lived, I lived right across the street, literally right across the street from where they met. That's right. funny stuff. That is. It's a small, small world. It really is. Well, what do you got coming up, my friend? Where can people get a hold of Dan the Man? Well, like I said, uh, I mean, I've, I've got my own Twitter. We've got a uh, roundtable coming out tomorrow. We're going to look at some fantasy booking of real-life what-if scenarios. Good. We've got the uh, Thursday. We've got the, yeah, like I said, you know, the interview with Joyce Grable. And then coming up, um, obviously, you know, we've got the uh, indie roundtable next week and the Tennessee stud on the ninth. So the next few shows we're going to have are going to be huge. So Fantastic. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. It's going to be a good one. Well, my friend, I will see you uh, in a few days. Um, I'll be watching. I won't be part of that show. Got to have a little time with the wife. Absolutely. Enjoy your day off. I'm working on it now. <laughs> Take care, Dan. Goodbye, everybody. Once again, happy wrestling. Take care. <laughs>